You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, our Easter text today is Acts chapter 2, verse 24. I'd ask you to open up your program that you got when you came in. Turn to the staples there. The text is printed inside. And I've chosen this for two reasons. First of all, this Wednesday, we will observe the 50th anniversary of the death of Martin Luther King Jr., this Wednesday. And Acts 2.24, which we'll read in a moment, was a very special text for Dr. King. The other reason I've chosen this is that it, this text personifies death and tells us that whether for Dr. King or for you or me, uh, Jesus has made of death a fool. All right, so if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read this text together. These are the words of Peter, but it's also God's word. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that, when you're, uh, it, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. Now, listen to what I have to say about Jesus from Nazareth. God proved he sent Jesus to you by having him work miracles, wonders, and signs. All of you know this. God had already planned and decided that Jesus would be handed over to you. So you took him and had evil men put him to death on a cross. But God set him free from death and raised him to life. Death could not hold him in its power. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Now notice, there's a hand here. Did you see that in that last line you read? There's a hand here. Death could not hold him in its power. Death is a grip. Death is a power to hold us. Now the word is translated here from the original uh, Greek means to seize to possess, to control, to master. Death has a power to reach into our lives and master us. Of course, death has a physical hand. It pulls on the body and begins to unravel its biological function and decompose its tissues. But death has a spiritual hand too. The power of death is fear. And fear pulls on the soul. As long as you and I are held in that power, fear will control our lives. Martin Luther King Jr. felt that hand. On April 4th, 1968, standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, joking with his friends, waiting for someone to bring a jacket so that they could go out to dinner together, Dr. King felt the physical hand single bullet fired. And the man whom, just the night before, he had called his best friend, Ralph Abernathy, now bends over him in shock, repeating, this is Ralph. This is Ralph. Don't be afraid. But Dr. King was gone. They took the body to the hospital, but death already held it in its power. Now, it's certainly not the first time that Dr. King had felt that hand. For years, it chilled the air around him. In the legacy of American slavery, he felt the hand. Under the laws of Jim Crow, he felt the hand. In the bombings of his home in Montgomery, he felt the hand. Before the dogs of Bull Connor, he felt the hand. In the jail at Birmingham, he felt the hand. On the bridge in Selma, he felt the hand. 
But what Martin Luther King Jr. seemed to understand is that while it is one thing to feel the hand of death, it's entirely another thing to allow it to hold you. It's one thing to know that we must all die, that as the Bible says us, it is appointed unto men once to die. But it is a very different thing to be controlled by fear. As the Bible says again, all our lives to be held in slavery by the fear of death. In other words, you and I have a choice to make. We can't choose whether we will die, but we can choose how we will live. Will we live in fear or will we live with hope? Which of the two will hold us in its power, fear or hope? We get to decide. For Dr. King, the decision came in a crisis. One night, he felt the spiritual hand of death closing its fingers on his soul. Fear. He was alone in his kitchen. It was midnight, January 27, 1956, Montgomery, Alabama. The phone had pulled him out of bed. It was a white man with a death threat. Two months into the Montgomery bus boycott, death threats were increasing by the day, and this one felt very real. Later, Dr. King would write, it seemed that all of my fears had come down on me at once. I was ready to give up. Then he bowed his head. In equal parts, devotion, disbelief, desperation, and despair, he began to speak over his kitchen table to the room as though somebody else were there. He said, I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I'm afraid. People are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. See, it was a prayer. In that kitchen, Dr. King had come to a crossroads in his life. Would his life be driven by hope or deadened by fear? Either the hand of fear would grab his soul and control his life from this point forward, seize, possess, control, master, or he would have to find a way to face the fear. If his fear gets the upper hand, there will be no letter from a Birmingham jail. There will be no vision from any mountaintop. And there will be no dream. It's as if not just his life, but in some way the whole civil rights movement hangs in the balance over that kitchen table. Let me ask you, where do you find hope when you're alone with your fears? Before we recall how that dreadful night ended for Dr. King, let's back up. You see, the hunt for hope became critical that night, but that's not where it all began. In fact, if we could go back six years or so earlier to a different room, to a study, we would find a young man, Martin, at 21 years of age, and he's reading the text that we just read. Death could not hold him in its power. I found this little piece of ruled notebook paper in the digital archives of the King Center. I know you can't read it, but here's the handwriting of young Martin. 
It's an outline for an Easter sermon on the text that you just read, Acts 2, verse 24. We have no record of this sermon other than this. We don't know whether it was ever even preached. It appears to be a school exercise, an exercise generated toward the end of his theological training. And it says, after saying Easter sermon in the text, it says, why death could not hold him. This appears to be a thesis statement. And of course, he's talking about Jesus. And then there are three points, which must have meant to be three points in the sermon. Why death could not hold him. And then, number one, his mind was too great for the grave. And number two, his love was too great for the grave. And then number three, his character was too great for the grave. Now, a a wise mentor once told me that the sermons we preachers tend to write are the sermons that we ourselves most need to hear. And so to me, I picture this young Martin, and he reads at the beginning of his life like so many of you students here at UPC, or maybe like all of us, hoping to find something that's bigger than his fears, bigger than his life, big enough for his life, big enough to outlive his own death. And what might that be? Maybe great ideas. His mind is too great for the grave. You could kill Jesus, but you could not kill his ideas. Truth is part of the structure of the universe, Dr. King would later write. Or maybe great love. His love was too great for the grave. You could kill Jesus, but you could not kill a love that would love you even while you did it. Love is the most durable power in the universe, Dr. King would later write. Or maybe great virtue. His character was too great for the grave. One day, justice will rise up, Dr. King would later write. So, truth, love, virtue. What about you? What for you has the power to break the grip that holds your soul in fear? Martin came to an answer that day, and it wasn't any of those things. It wasn't anything. It was a person. Beneath this outline, there's one more sentence. And it's that paragraph at the bottom. And it says this. Jesus was more powerful on the day of Pentecost, six weeks after his death, than he was in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Jesus and his power. Now, what does that mean? It must have occurred to young Martin at that moment that Palm Sunday was the day Jesus led his followers through the crowds that celebrated him. Hosanna, remember? But Pentecost was the day Jesus led his followers through the crowds that had crucified him. Crucify him, remember. Palm Sunday is what you do when things are at their best. But Pentecost is what you do when you've already been through the worst. Palm Sunday, Jesus gives you something to say at a parade. But Pentecost, Jesus gives you something to say to a mob. Death could not hold him in its power. These are the words of St. Peter. Peter had felt the hand of death. Just seven weeks before Pentecost, Jesus spoke of his own death. But Peter couldn't bear it. He grabbed Jesus by the shoulder and said to him, Jesus, this is Peter. This is Peter. Don't be afraid. But it was futile. 
Already the shadow of the cross is cooling the air in the room. And soon death would hold Jesus. They would lock themselves in an upper room. Mary, Salome, Joanna, James, John, and Peter. Broken by grief, seized by fear. Jesus is dead. Next, they'll be coming for you and me. But now, seven weeks later, Pentecost, what a change. How do you explain this? People are speaking of Jesus in the languages from around the world. It's like a letter calling for unity. It's like a vision of the future from a mountaintop. It's like a dream. And there's Peter. He's left the room. He's standing before the very mob, telling them about the dream, telling them that there is a way through the grave itself, through our greatest fears, that there's hope. And friends, we need that same hope today. We need a new hope. We need a greater hope. We need a hope that is greater than the grave. Because we feel the hand of death too. Those of us in this room. We are feeling the hand of death. In an athletic injury. In a painful breakup. In the grip of depression. In the loss of a loved one. In the indignities of old age. In a loveless marriage. In a lawsuit. Infertility. Cancer. Addiction. In this room, we feel the fingers pressing. Choking our souls with fear. Just like Dr. King that cold night in his Montgomery kitchen. I am afraid, he whispers in the dark. Faltering at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And beyond all that, we are aware of other rooms. There's a chill in the news today because Muslims whose mosque has been burned down gather in a room that's not theirs in Bellevue right now. Because the family of Stefan Clark gathers in a room in Sacramento somewhere right now. Because hungry children gather in basements in Syria and Yemen, feeling the hand of death. And in this room, you and I know that we'll never have a hope that's big enough for ourselves until we find one that's big enough for them too. But where? Where? The handwritten Easter outline tells us that in his study... The young Martin was trying to look where Peter was pointing. The empty tomb. The empty tomb. Peter says here, what you just read in verse 22. God proved he sent Jesus to you. You all know this. That's remarkable. That's a lot to assume in a hostile audience. Unless in Jerusalem at that time it was uncontested fact that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. And that now the tomb is empty. The empty tomb. It's empty. Think about this. If the people who killed Jesus wanted to stop his movement of fearless followers, all they had to do was drag the body of their so-called martyr through the streets of Jerusalem. They did it in Berlin, Baghdad, Mogadishu, and in Jasper, Texas. But they couldn't do it here in Jerusalem. They didn't have the body. 
They couldn't find the body. He was risen. A great stone couldn't hold him. A guard couldn't hold him. The power of Rome couldn't hold him. And even death. In equal parts, devotion, disbelief, desperation, and despair. Peter ran that day and ran and ran and ran and ran breathless until in that room, that same upper room, Jesus met him alive. Death could not hold Jesus in its power. And it couldn't hold Dr. King either. Something changed in his life in that kitchen six years earlier, later, excuse me, later. Even his wife noticed. You know, it's one thing, guys, if you tell your wives, I'm different now, trust me on this one. But when your wife tells us she sees the change, then it's real. (laughs) And Coretta Scott King would later say, after that night in the kitchen, Dr. King was imbued with a new sense of confidence and he was ready to face anything, anything. Exactly what happened in that kitchen. You know what happened in that kitchen? Jesus met him. Alive. Dr. King wrote, at that moment I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once my fears began to pass from me. Three nights later, his house was bombed. But Dr. King remained strangely calm. God had given me a new strength and trust. I knew now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms and problems of life. You see, it was Jesus in the room with him. It was Jesus in that study. It was Jesus in that kitchen. It would be Jesus linking arms with him at the head of the march in Montgomery, Alabama, Selma, and Chicago. It was the risen, it would be the risen Jesus with him on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. It would be the risen Jesus with him on the balcony in the Lorraine Motel. You see, death is not the only thing with a hand. Jesus has two of them. One for his father in heaven and one for you here below. The word that Peter uses here for the grip of death is also used for the grip of Jesus in the New Testament. With his hand, Jesus takes a hold of Peter's mother-in-law and her fever breaks. With his hand, Jesus takes the hand of a little boy and his seizures end. With his hand, Jesus takes the hand of a dead girl and she comes back to life. But Dr. King discovered that night, what changed his life, what changed our nation, is that Jesus is always reaching out to us. And if only we will take the hand of Jesus in faith. If only. Then we don't need to run from what scares us. Jesus will pull us through our deepest fears, even death itself. And so finally... Let me pause, dear friend, to say simply that Jesus is in this room too. Jesus is here right now. We can't see him, but he sees you. He knows all about what you're going through right now. And he's reaching out his hand to grip you. Will you take it?
Will you take it and let him take you warm? Take your life, all of it, devotion, disbelief, desperation, and despair. Let him pull you clean through the grave. And if you do, today, I want to encourage you to tell somebody about that. Because today is the day that death lost its grip on you. Dr. King once said, Easter is a day above old days. It asserts that man's extremity is God's opportunity. It affirms that what stops us does not stop God. And that miracles are much a part of the end as it is of the beginning. And so maybe that's why the biographer tells us that as Martin Luther King Jr. lay dying on the balcony, his last words were to the musicians scheduled to play at that night's dinner. This is what they were. Ben, he wheezed, Ben, make sure you play, precious Lord, take my hand. In the meeting tonight, play it real pretty. And then he was gone. Now it goes like this. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm lone. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand. Precious Lord, lead me home. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, risen Savior, If we but take your hand in faith right now, we will pass from death to life, all our sin forgiven. We become a new creation and you through your Holy Spirit now imbue us with the hope of heaven to face no matter what comes our way. And so hear us now as we pray. Some for the very first time. Others again with fresh devotion. Precious Lord, Take my hand. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301 extension 117.